It's such an honour, Danny, um, to be part of this amazing podcast you're doing here. And it's just really cool to be talking about this book. You know my work and you've given it a lot of thought and um, I don't normally get such good questions, to be honest. <laughs> Your podcast is the one that I listen to when I want to listen to an interviewer who has A, actually read the books she's asking questions about, <laughs> and B, asks really interesting, insightful questions about it. And I think that's really special. Thank you for your wonderful questions. It was a good chat. Great chat. You're a good interviewer. It's an absolute pleasure to be interviewed by a very articulate person such as yourself. I so enjoy listening to the podcast. Truly, I love it. And it does just feel like you're having a chat with your mate. <laughs> that's brilliant what you do. Honestly, I'm so in awe and um, we, we need more word nerds like you said. <laughs>have the absolute pleasure of speaking to Tara Moss. Tara is a best-selling author and novelist, documentary host, speaker and human rights advocate. She's written 12 best-selling books published in 19 countries and 13 languages. Tara returns to crime fiction with a stunning new series and a stunning new heroine. Meet P.I. Billy Walker, smart and sexy with a dash of Mae West humour. She's a hard-boiled detective with a twist. I hope you enjoy this interview. I'm your host, Danny V. Thank you so much, Tara, for joining me on the Words and Nerds podcast to chat about your new novel, Dead Man Switch. It's my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on and thanks for supporting books. I loved this book. I It was one of those books that you just had to savour every word because it was just so stylish. <laughs> Thank you. Well, the book only came out a week ago. Um, so while it's my first uh, novel after seven years of doing nonfiction, it's my return to fiction. Um, and I've been sitting and writing this book and working away on it, as you do in isolation as an author, because that's how that works. Um, the last week has been extraordinary because the feedback has been so wonderful. And it's you know, one of those great joys of being an author is finally sharing your work with the world, and I'm loving what I'm hearing. <laughs> well, I thought it was just such a slick and stylish book set in the 40s post-war, and really my favourite aspect was the style, the detail of the era, the language, the dialogue, the fashion. How have you developed your style over time? That's a good question. Um, this is my 12th book um, and my 10th novel. And I guess, as every writer does, you develop and change as you go. I think you hone whatever natural skills you have. Um, and that's something that I don't know that I'm the best person to really analyze. Um, it's a pretty organic process. Uh, writing a novel takes a very long time. It's a huge commitment and you spend, in my case anyway, years looking at the text and um, developing it and honing it and editing it and researching. And that process has to be one that you feel passionate about. So I have to love my topics. I have to love my characters. Um, and I do. So I'd say... You know, over the last 20 years, what I've learned is that um, I'm a writer at heart, that it's an organic process for me. And while I apply a lot of discipline, uh, not necessarily routines, I'm not very routine oriented, but I am extremely disciplined, um, that I need to, you know, trust the process and trust my own abilities when I'm writing. 
It had such beautiful old world charm and it was just really refreshing. I mean, I think it's the 70th book that I've read this year. And honestly, it was just something like I've never read before. So thank you for putting it out in the world. I love hearing that. Um, I I want readers to really enjoy the journey with Billy Walker um, and to enjoy that 1946 setting in Australia. I went to great lengths to get the authentic details correct. And of course, um, you know, I I get the feeling you've noticed that. uh, (laughs) Absolutely. The amount of detail. Um, I took a leaf out of Raymond Chandler with regards to just how much of the physical surroundings my private investigator takes in. Uh, Very early on, I remember a a criticism I had from a a reviewer who said, oh, you know, she she focuses on the, the style and the fashions and things like this that the characters are wearing. And I thought, well, yes, I do, but haven't you read Chandler? Haven't you read Philip Marlowe? I mean, I don't think there are any other um, writers who go into as much detail as Raymond Chandler does with uh, or did with um, his Philip Marlowe character because he's a private investigator and so is Billy Walker and these are the sorts of details that they take in instinctively in their trade from the, the type of hat the character is wearing to the angle it's sitting at, you know, the part of their hair, the types of shoes they're wearing, whether the shoes are polished or not, how old they are, whether they're in style or they're from decades ago. All of these details tell us something about the person that they're observing. And it it tells something to that uh, private investigator that is an important observation. So, so yeah, I do um, focus in and hone in on those details because I think they add a rich experience, uh, a richer experience to the readers, but also they're really relevant for private investigators as well. I think you're absolutely right. And for me, the 40s, it is such an interesting time because there was lots of change going on. It was post-war. You know, women were being sent from the workplace back home and no one really knew their place. And so I think fashion is always more important than you think it is because it really reflects the kind of, uh, you know, kind of era or kind of the context that you're in. Absolutely. I mean, one of the observations Billy Walker makes about a client that walks into her office was that that she had a very, um, you know, a fine ensemble on, but it wasn't new. It was from the 1930s. And that would have been typical in um, 1946 because there wasn't a lot of access to new materials and there was rationing. So we're learning that this was a person who's walked into her office who had some access to, you know, good and stylish quality clothes, but hadn't had that access for a while. She's also wearing a first stole and that ends up becoming important in the plot later on and we learn um, the relationship that that character has to that item. So each of the things she's noticing are relevant and of course in the 1940s there was make do and mend. Um, a lot of the women's clothing for example were uh, was adapted from the 1930s or clothing that was even earlier than that. Um, so a 1930s suit might have more of a shoulder pad put into it. You might, and it was all done at home, you know, adapting these things to change the hemline or to bring the skirt in slightly with the, with the more modern, um, look of the time. And, uh, uh, even some of the men's suits were made into women's skirt suits. So they used those jackets and things and adapted them while the men were away. Now, I really want to talk about Billy Walker. She is such an easy character to love. Smart, compassionate, courageous, well-intentioned, and, of course, beautifully dressed. 
And she's a woman who is far ahead of her time and lives life on her own terms. And I just wanted to know how this character emerged for you because she's such a wonderful character. Oh, thank you. Uh, Billy Walker was a creation that formed slowly for me. So when I finished the Mac Vanderwall series back in 2012, I really took my time thinking about who my new heroine would be and just what kind of a fiction world I wanted to create next. So I took my time with that and what happened was Billy Walker. She gradually emerged and I think out of my love of 1940s women of cinema, those women of grit that we saw in film noir, um, and also the women of hard-boiled, but of course with an important difference as well. Because in the hard-boiled genre, genre I adore, uh, usually there's the femme fatale character. I love a good femme fatale. <laughs> but they were very often literally fatal women. They would die at the end. They would be victims. And they were certainly not the heroines who pushed forward um, the plot single-handedly in the way that um, Billy Walker does. Well, actually, she does have an ensemble cast of strong women as well. Um, but I wanted to kind of nod to that hard-boiled genre, but again, with a twist. And she is sort of ahead of her time, and yet I feel that Billy Walker is also very much of her time because women were like this in the 1940s. They were um, resilient and adaptable. They were tough. They were, you know, people had to be strong. Um, everyday people were faced with extraordinary circumstances. So it's my belief that women like this existed at the time, and we just really haven't told their stories. So she's a, a new kind of creation, but I think based on something that's very authentic. Mm, I really like that, and I've spoken to a lot of authors, particularly Kate Forsyth, about that lost, the lost women of history, and I think mm. you're absolutely right about that. I think there were women like this, but their stories haven't been told. I think maybe that's why I enjoyed reading it so much. <laughs> Thank you. Now, what I enjoyed about Billy Walker, like we said, she both challenges gender expectations, but she also, um, you know, she sort of also is very feminine as well. And I think that's the reality for most people, you know, we're not one thing. And what I loved were her mother's gifts that she was given, a sewing machine, a fast car and a gun. I thought the perfect combination for the modern woman, right? That's right. Um, I think Billy Walker may be the first character in fiction who solves murders and darns her own stockings. Um, uh, my feminist uh, self really felt passionately about giving her characteristics that were realistic for the era, and she would have been making do and mending during the 40s, everyone did. But also, I wanted to give her characteristics that were both masculine and feminine in terms of what we think of as these sort of conventional ideas. So she can handle thugs in a back alley, she can drive a fast car, but yeah, she can also create her own clothes, and she uses those really um, effectively within her trade. Again, the, the things that she does, that none of these things are frivolous, even if it means she's putting on a, you know, a certain um, necklace or gown, she's using it strategically to get into particular rooms for her private investigation work. Um, so it was important for me to give her those qualities. She wears her fighting red lipstick, which is what the women did at the time <laughs> as well. And that is named for a true lipstick by Tussie that was out at that time. But it, I think she does kind of reflect 
what we know of the women of that era, that they went and worked in factories, they went um, and did extraordinary work in newsrooms and as a war reporter in Billy Walker's case, and they held on to aspects of their traditional identities through um, elements like their lipstick or, you know, the rolls in their hair, feeling that sort of feminine touch, even though they were wearing clothes that at the time were considered quite masculine and taking on roles that were considered masculine as well. And that's what I loved because that's what feminism is, isn't it? It's about women making the choices that are right for them. It's not about being this thing or that thing. It's about doing what is right for you. That's right. And also um, acknowledging that there is the power in the feminine as well as in the masculine, that the feminine aspects of a character like Billy Walker um, aren't characteristics that make her weaker. They're part of her strength. So I think it's that... um, idea that there's a, a, a disconnect that somehow uh, women's qualities or feminized skills like sewing, for example, that these are somehow weaker traits is really and truly wrong. And I wanted to give her traits that were both masculine and feminine for that those very reasons. Mm. And then there's Samuel. What a great character. <laughs> I wish he existed. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. I've been hearing a lot of swoons over Sam. <laughs> <laughs> it's not hard. A man comfortable with who he is, not at all threatened by the strong women of the 1940s. Also a character, as you say, of his time and ahead of his time and just such an easy character to admire because he's her assistant. In effect, he's her secretary and he That's- loves his job and respects her and he's just such a beautiful character. He is, and, and he's one of those characters that became much larger in the writing. So the more I wrote Sam, the more he came to life and ended up becoming a character I you know, was swooning over, really. Um, <laughs> he's, returned, he's, a, he's a returned serviceman, as so many of um, the men were at that time, and he's returned with disabilities. And that means that it's already hard to get work um, in a post-war world, but additionally so if you've, you're someone who has disabilities. And perhaps Sam Baker wouldn't have met Billy or wouldn't have found himself working for a woman if not for what happened to him in World War II. But the fact that they are working together makes them an extraordinarily fabulous team. Uh, they play off each other really beautifully. And uh, I, I really like those elements of Sam. The fact that, yes, she has a male secretary, um, but it's realistic because he would have been needing that job at the time. And he would have been the right man for the job as well. Um, I actually named him Sam for Sam Spade because I wanted Billy Walker to have the to have her ha- um, her phone answered in the front room by um, by a Sam Spade character. Um, he's not Sam Spade at all. He's very very different to him. But I thought Dashiell Hammett would either um, jump up and down with glee or roll over in his grave. I'm not sure which it is. I love that. That's what made me want to name him Sam. Oh, he was such a lovely character. And it's funny that you say the more you wrote him, the more you wanted to keep writing him. Because the more I read about him, the more I wanted to read about him. So he had that effect on me as well. (laughs) Right. And you never know what's going to happen with characters while you write them. Um, For me, Billy Walker was a character that kept forming in my mind before I began the writing. So she was quite a fully formed human uh, to me by the time I started putting pen to page. But the other characters, as normally happens in my writing, really developed a great deal during the writing process. And Sam is an example of that. 
The novel is full of juxtapositions, which I really loved. And we've talked about the feminine and the masculine. It also shows the beautiful fashion, but also the atrocity of war and the vulnerability not only of men, but of women. Because in Billy's case, she doesn't want to be vulnerable. She wants to take care of herself. But there's also strength in acknowledging that vulnerability, isn't there? Because even Sam, you know, he covers up his his hand. He's injured from war. So everyone's feeling this vulnerability post-war. But, um, you know, they're moving toward that strength of, you know, it's okay to be vulnerable sometimes. You don't always have to be the superhero. That's right. And, you know, Billy does have a wonderful supporting cast. So Sam Baker, her secretary come assistant, is a wonderful uh, supporting um, aspect of her professional life. But she also has support in her personal life with Ella and um, that's her mom of course the aristocratic Ella von Hooft and uh, her lady's maid Alma and they make again another wonderful pair of those two and um, they play off Billy and uh, just beautifully I love some of the dialogue between all of them Um, so so yeah there is vulnerability there no one has come back from the war unscathed or unscarred whether it be psychologically or physically or both and those vulnerabilities are very much on show in 1946 Sydney Um, there's John Wilson for example the lift operator in Daking House where Billy Walker has her private investigation office and he has lost an arm on one side and has burns on his face and he is one of those men who has returned very changed uh, but beloved to everyone in that um, in that building. So I was very interested in exploring the long shadow of war, how, you know, once there was victory in the Pacific Day, there wasn't this sudden switch where everything was back to normal. Things were irrevocably changed. People were irrevocably changed and, and lives were impacted and continue to be impacted by this war. It's so interesting, the long shadow of war, because even when you read about post-World War II and the people affected, I mean, the shadow is still with us now, isn't it? Very much so. I was very interested in exploring that and exploring how everyday people coped with those changes um, and with the trauma of war. We often you see in town squares, you know, the the generals and the men held up um, who were at the front lines or who were, um, you know, I guess giving the orders. And it's right that we do that and right that we remember them. But, of course, they're not the only people impacted in war. Um, so Dead Man Switch focuses on more everyday sorts of people and how life has changed for them. And I grew up on these types of stories. So when I was growing up in Canada, um, I would hear stories from my Oma and Opa about World War II. And this was, again, something that drew me to the era and to this uh, plot um, and topic. My Opa was taken by the Nazis during World War II as an able-bodied Dutchman and uh, was forced into a work camp in Berlin. It was a munitions factory, and he had young children with my Oma, and she would cycle across Holland to Berlin, smuggling flour and sugar in the hollows of her bicycle to give him those ingredients so he could bake bread in the munitions ovens. So he was a baker by trade, and he baked bread in order to bribe the foreman. And the foreman eventually gave him a day pass, and he used that to escape the Nazis. So it's these sorts of stories of bravery and resilience that I grew up on that made me want to write Dead Man Switch and write about this period. 
And it's so interesting that you say that for me personally, because when I opened your book and it said dedicated to my Oma and Opa, I have an Oma and Opa as well because I have Dutch heritage. (laughs) And my my Oma and Opa, they were in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. And so I just feel like this book just really resonated me on so many different levels. You know, the feminism, the style, the action, the history, the fashion. And then on top of that, a kind of personal parallel with my own Oma and Opa, you know, in that sort of situation. Well, you know, those lives were so changed and there are really very few family lines where you don't have you know, a heavy impact from World War II somewhere along the way. Um, fortunately for my Oma and Opa, they weren't Jewish, but many of their neighbors were, and they were taken away and never returned. So these these scars from history stay with us and stay with the family lines, and I wanted to honor the reality of that, explore the resilience of everyday people. So in the acknowledgments, I talk about the rebellions of everyday people and how that made a huge difference in the war and makes a huge difference today. Mm, Absolutely. And just lastly, it's just so interesting that just before I read your book, I got it on the Saturday, I stayed at the Hydro Majestic on the Thursday night for a conference. How perfect. perfect. It's it's on my Instagram. And then when I started reading your book, I went, oh, my goodness, this is another thing. And I loved just those little tidbits of information. I just stayed there. And then how it had been a hospice during the time of war. That's correct. Um, I chose locations for this book that exist in real life. So 99% of the locations are real. The only exception is The Dancers, which is a nod to Chandler and uh, and his novels. And the reason I changed uh, the name for The Dancers was because there's some nefarious activity there and I didn't want to get in trouble with anyone's family <laughs> if they were saying, you know, my grandparents owned that club in the 1940s. You know, So uh, I've come up with The Dancers. It's a fictional career creation that's true to the time but the other locations like the Hydra Majestic like the Katoomba Memorial Hospital like Daking House and Strand Arcade and Central Police Station these all exist today and can be visited and they're uh, I think they make a wonderful um, background and for these scenes but also it's my way of shining a light on some of this wonderful history and these wonderful buildings that we often overlook. Mm. So if you're a reader and you don't know where the perfect place is to read Dead Man Switched, go and check into the Hydro Majestic and sit in <laughs> the beautiful lounges they've got. I was just walking around looking at all the furnishings most of the time. It was just beautiful. Perfect weekend read. Just <laughs> exactly. put up up there at the Hydro <laughs> Look at the view and have a nice long weekend reading. And a disclaimer, the Hydro Majestic are not paying us. It's just all these really weird coincidences <laughs> that have been happening. Correct. <laughs> and it's a little bit more salubrious than, say, Central Police Station, which yes. is mostly dilapidated now. But it still exists and is lovely to walk past as well. Now, I'm hoping you'll say yes to this question, but is there going to be more Billy Walker? There will be. Um Uh, HarperCollins Australia got on board with this book, supporting it from day one, and it's a two-book deal with them. But I recently was pleased to sell into Canada and the U.S. I've got publishers there. Um, Harper Canada signed on for three Billy Walker books, the first of those being this novel. So there'll be at least two more Billy Walker books at minimum. And as an author today, look, it's, it's pretty tough in publishing at times. I feel really privileged 
that I can, you know, settle in and know there's commitment and support for Billy Walker for the next several years because I'll be living in this world and writing this world for a while to come. And there was a wonderful quote in the trades when we announced the North American deals. It was my first experience of actually seeing Billy Walker through someone else's eyes after writing her in private for so long. And they said she was a what was the, the, the phrase? A staunchly feminist, champagne-swilling, fast-driving Nazi hunter. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, I want to be part of that girl gang. So that is a pretty apt description of Billy Walker. Well, sign me up too. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Tara. Like I said, Dead Man Switch is one of my absolute favorite reads for the year. And it just had style and hooked me from the very first page. So what a pleasure to read. I'm so happy that there's going to be at least two more Billy Walker mysteries. And uh, I will, for the second and maybe the third, check myself into a nice uh, 1940s hotel to read it for the weekend. That sounds absolutely divine. Thank you. 